0: The reading today is taken from Romans 8, verses 31 to 34. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any change against, charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Every year we tend to put a focus on gifts, um, especially when it comes time for Christmas. Because I think each and every one of us here is aware that Jesus is the greatest gift that can possibly be given during Christmas. And like what was spoken before, and like what is usually mentioned year after year, is that people, including me, get incredibly caught up in the festivities and really forget the true meaning of Christmas. Now today we're going through, well, this, this next few weeks, we're going through a bit of an Advent series. But today my prayer for each and every one of us is that we will quieten our hearts and really put the gospel under a magnifying glass together as we explore the scriptures because what we find in the book of Romans is something incredibly marvelous and it's been opened up to each and every one of us and through what is spoken in these just these few verses we discover that there is a huge gift for us and that is a new way of life and a new way of living but it's our choice Our choice today, whether or not we choose to take that gift. So if you have your Bibles open, because we do have the verses actually on screen today, but there are a few of them that I'm going to refer to that aren't there, and I encourage you to look through it with me. So the first thing I'm going to address within this passage is actually starting from verse 32. Now, I don't know about you, but I get a little bit frustrated because I've heard this particular passage misquoted again and again and again by many different pastors and churches and whatnot, and taken out of context. So he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, um, will he, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Now I've heard people preach, you know, you want your job, you want that that pay rise, you believe in God and he will give it to you. You've heard it, right? I, I see a few nods there. That's often how people dissect this passage. But if you look at it in terms of the context of what Paul is actually saying, it has nothing to do with what we gain in the physical. But there is a gift that we get as Christians that has been opened up through Jesus' birth. So verse 31. What then shall I say in response to these things? When somebody says that, opens up with like a response like that, a, a verse like that, it means that he is referring to not just this passage, but the passages that precede that. So what do I say in response to these, these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? So in order for us to actually understand what Paul is actually trying to say through this, we're going to have to look actually through the book of Romans. Hopefully this thing is on. Good. So these are the three gifts I believe that we get as Christians during Christmas. Freedom, a new way of life. And the third one is the ability to walk victoriously through life's challenges. So, the book of Romans, I'd like to see it as the gospel, but for Christians. A lot of us sometimes think of the gospel as the entry point into salvation. I believe in Jesus. I have been set free, so therefore I am a child of God. I'm a Christian. And unfortunately, what I've seen through the limited experience, because I'm only 30, a lot of you have been around a lot more than me, but in my experience, I've seen a lot of Christians just get hung up on the first point. Yes, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. But within the gospel, we actually see four points. Christ died for us. He died. He was born as a babe into the world. And he was crucified for the sake of our sins. So he died for us. The third one, Christ lives in me. We see this in verses... Let me find my notes. I haven't actually got them up yet. Got ahead of myself. (laughs) So the third one we see in Romans 8, where it talks about the being alive in the spirit. So Christ now lives in me. The Spirit of God lives, lives within me. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives within me. And the third one, uh, the second one, sorry, I skipped that one, is that Christ died as me. And this looking at it on screen, a lot of us might think, yeah, that makes sense. I know this stuff but please turn with me to Romans 7 and let's just look at this together because this will frame what I'm going to say later. Romans 7, starting at verse 17, and I'm just going to pick a few verses from here. Now, this is an incredibly famous verse. I think all of us know this. But if Christ died for me and Christ lives in me, why then... And we have the victory. Why then does it say in verse 17? As it is, I no longer myself who do it, but is the sin living within me. For I know it is good itself does not dwell within me. That is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what's good, but I cannot carry it out. Have you guys ever looked at this and thought it a little bit bizarre? The whole of the gospel screams victory. The dead, the old has gone, the new has come. Put on the new self, the new covenant that we have in Jesus Christ. We are more than conquerors. Why then do we have this particular passage within Romans that speaks so negatively about the sin struggle? Let's go on. For I, hate, for I do what I don't want to do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, no longer myself who do it. It is sin living within me. Let's go down to verse 21. So I find the law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. So it, he goes on about that. And then let's have a look at verse 24. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? So it's like Paul is crying out to God I have this sinful nature within my heart. I can't get rid of it no matter how hard I try. I try to do good, but it's like an anchor pulling me down. Save me, Lord, from myself. Can you get the tone of Paul's message? But verse 24, he uses a very interesting illustration. And he says, who will rescue me from this subject, this body of death? Now, take note that he's talking to a Roman audience. In Roman culture, they have really, really creative ways to torture people. And one of the things that they used to do to murderers is that they used to chain the dead carcass of the person that was murdered onto the murderer's back, chained up. And he would have to walk around the street with this body of death attached to his back. It's disgusting, right? And as the heat, you know, goes up during the day and the body begins to decay, what happens? It begins to rot through to the flesh, Who will save me from this body of death? That is what Paul is referring to as our sin. As we lug our sin around, it goes and it rots the goodness that is within us. Who will save us from this body of death? But notice how it does not end there. Let's go down to verse 25. But, there's a but there, thanks be to God who has delivered me through Christ Jesus our Lord. He has delivered us. That body of death that is described here, that sinful nature, that anchor that weighs us down, has been lifted off us through Christ Jesus. Number two is Christ died as me. But I look around the body of Christ today, and a lot of us are still got the dead carcass on our back. We haven't given it up to God and it rots, it rots through to what is good. So the second thing is Christ died as me and I wish I had more time because each, every one of those is such a big topic in itself and I struggled to actually cut down for this message but I wanted to emphasize that one, Christ died as me. We can now live through life in freedom because of what Christ has done. Whoops. Sorry, I think I'm supposed to be going back. Okay, so f- the first one is freedom. We have this freedom in Christ Jesus, and I hope we don't take this for granted, because in that there is such peace and lightness. When we've been lugging around the sinful nature of our past, boy, it's heavy. And what we have now that is good it's rotting. So, today I hope that we understand one of the greatest gifts that Jesus gave us when he died and when he was born, because we're celebrating Jesus' birth, is freedom from that, freedom from our past. And the second one is a new way of life. We walk into a new way of life. And that is explained in chapter 8 of Romans. And the third one is walking victorious. So it says in our reading, I've lost my place again. It says in our reading that Christ Jesus who died, more of that, he was raised to life and he's at the right hand of God. The right hand of God is symbolic of authority. The person who sits at the right hand of a dinner table of the Father has the ability to speak on behalf of the Father, to actually order things to happen on behalf of the Father. So it says that Jesus is seated with him on the right hand in heavenly realms in Ephesians 1, to 22. Fire above every rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And God has placed everything under his feet. That is Jesus' position, not just back then, but right now as we speak. He is seated with Christ, seated with God in heavenly places, at the right hand. And what's beautiful is in Ephesians 2, I believe, 6, is that it describes us, this is Ephesians 1. Paul goes on and he goes and describes us being seated with Christ in heavenly places. We are right now joint with Christ. 2 Corinthians 1:14. And this is a picture that I really want all of us to understand because for me it, re- it transformed the way that I viewed myself in relationship to Christ. 2 Corinthians 2.14, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession procession, and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. This word, triumph, what do you think about when you hear this word or you, you, you read this word? I used to always think victory. It means victory. And yes, although it is tied to the word victory, it's actually what happens after the victory. When the battle gets won and the enemy gets completely defeated, what the Romans used to do was that they would go through Rome and the emperor, or whoever the general at the time, would parade. First, his mad magistrates would go forward, and then it would be like singing and dancing. And then there would be the, the the captives. They would usually be stripped naked, and they would also have to parade down down the down the main street of the city. And they would have fragrant fragrant feast. The smell of it would fill the air, and it would be a huge celebration the spoils of victory would be on display for all to see as a sign that the victory has been won so this triumphal procession the general would do that he would go through and what's really interesting is that is also what Paul is talking about let's have a look at the second one because of time On their return to battle, Roman generals were honoured with triumphal procession, much like the tickle tape parades given given modern heroes. As the victorious army paraded their loot and conquered captives, the streets would be filled with fragrance from burning incense and the smells of victory east being prepared. That is what Paul is trying to say. Going back, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. So in Jesus, this is a picture of us. We are with Him going down the streets. There's a smell of celebration and and, and and a feast ahead of us. And look what it says down there. He uses us to spread the knowledge the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere and let's have a look at 1 Corinthians 2:14 to 16 i'm just aware of the time and uses us to spread the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ along with those who are being saved and those who are perishing You see, the smell of the aroma meant two things to two different people. To the captives, to the ones that lost, it was the smell of defeat. But to the victors, to the ones who prevailed and conquered, it was the smell of victory. One is the smell of defeat, the other is victory. To the one, we have the aroma that brings death. To the other, the aroma that brings life. What a beautiful picture that we have. And the last illustration, and it's from 1 Peter, and I don't have it written down, but it just came to mind just then. We know that verse about the devil prowling around as a lion, waiting for someone to devour. You know, what, I looked at that verse, and I used to think, man, we should be really careful, and we should. The devil is still active in this world today, He is still prowling around like a lion, and he's looking for somebody to be caught off guard. It's the the picture that is being painted. But do you know, if if you've ever experienced lions in the wild, that's not very lion-like behavior. Lions are actually quite stealthy when they're on the hunt. They only growl when they're usually old, declawed, and they use their roar to stun their prey. And that is absolutely fascinating because a lion in its prime does not like roar and make a big sound. He actually is stealthy and he pounces when people least expect it. That is the picture that we have of the devil. We should still be aware But understand, what we have in Christ Jesus is far greater than that. So, some of us, I believe, are still carrying the body of sin. I think that's my last slide. Oops. Can I go back to the other one? Um, Some of us, I believe, are still carrying that body of sin. You know, but you know what? We've been given a great gift, and that is freedom in Christ. But you know what? It doesn't stop there. If we have freedom and do nothing with it, then we might as well be back where we were were when we started. But through Jesus, we are also given a new way of life. And the last one, the gift that's been given to us through Christmas, is that we can now walk victorious. We can now walk as an overcomer because of who Jesus is, instead of running away from the roaring lion, we can turn to face the roar with full boldness because of who I am in Christ, because I'm seated with Christ, because in Christ I am more than a conqueror, because I can do all things through Christ, who infuses inner strength into me. We need to take our focus off what the enemy is doing and put the focus on what God has already done. It's all about a change of perspective. Interestingly enough, we can look at it in two ways. We can go through life in two ways. One, we can go through life as a victim and as things come in our lives and it weighs us down we can get frustrated and you know get 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 caught in this 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 victim mentality we can see our problems as a string of personal attacks or we can go through life with a victor's mentality knowing what Jesus has already done two mindsets that we can switch so victory is not something we grow into or earn, it is our inheritance, simply because we've lined our lives with the source of victory in Jesus Christ. And I'll pray for us today that in the midst of the chaos that is Christmas, in the midst of the lists of people and that I still need to buy for, which I don't know where the money's gonna come from, in the midst of overeating, and turkeys and and preparing that beautiful feast for the family that they can all enjoy in the midst of all those good things. Let us remember the gift that was given to us and let's, play, let's pay honour to the one whose birthday it really is. Lord, I just thank you for this community and I just pray, Father, that you'll just help us to understand this passage, Father, um, the and also what precedes it as well through the book of Romans. Um, Lord, I pray, Father, that you will help us to read it for ourselves. I think quite often we, we, we brush past Roman because it's considered a bit of a dense book, but Lord, there is so much truth for the Christians. It is the gospel for Christians, and the gospel, Father, is not... Help us to understand it's not just the entry point into faith, but it's something that should encapsulate our whole life. Help us to be not hung up on the first step, Christ died for me, but really understand that Christ died also as me, that Christ lives in me and Christ also lives through me and unless all four of these things operate, then am I really living the Christian life that God has intended? I pray, Father God, that you'll just awaken that within us in the name of Jesus.